Fish Unfiltered, episode 45. We are back, and we have back-to-back weeks of episodes because of how packed the trade deadline, not only the trade deadline has been, but the content we have to cover here. We're with my co-host, Isaac Gazoot, and we have the Fish on First founder, Eli Sussman, here with us today. We're going to talk about uh, our top 30 list, which I don't think it's been made it's been made public yet, but we're just going to talk about the switches that we made to it. There's a lot of revision, and I will say it was one of the harder lists that we've had to kind of revise just with how poor the farm system is you know, up to right now. And then obviously Miami come up, coming off a very disappointing six-game road trip and just a lot more to get into. So Isaac, what's up? Um, very crucial series coming up for Miami tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday. So I guess this is being posted on the day of the series. So just a lot, you know, big series for Miami against Colorado. But before that, just what's up and your thoughts on the horrible six-game road trip? Yes. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Um, we are recording this on Thursday, July 20th. The Marlins currently sit eight games over 500 after, you know, finishing up a brutal 0-6 road trip to begin the second half. And there are only nine games left until the trade deadline, if I have that correct. Nine games. Yeah. So unless Miami loses seven or eight of these next nine games, I think their strategy will be to be adding pieces rather than sell. I do have some interesting ideas if they do decide to maybe sell off some pieces. We'll get into that a little bit later. But yes, things are going to be heating up in the next 10 days or so. And it's going to be some critical games for Miami, especially this weekend against the Rockies. You have to win that series. There's no... No if and or buts about it. You have to win that one. And I think it'll make the decision a lot easier to to add pieces. And also Miami's farm system, like I said, is not like Kevin said, it's not in the greatest situation anyway. So there's not many pieces in that farm system that are eligible to be traded that I would mind giving up right now for any either short season rentals or longer term rentals. So we'll get into that soon. Yeah, as we get this past week, it has raised all sorts of concerns about all these areas of the team that are underperforming kind of at the same time, making bringing up the idea of adding here and there and there and there. And I think the reality is that they're simply not going to have the assets to responsibly do so, especially with the players that are available at this deadline, which is it's not the deepest crop of selling players that are available on the market. So yeah, things are a lot easier if they perform well, or at least in certain aspects of their team perform well during this key stretch leading up to the deadline. And then it allows them to really focus on a couple particular areas that maybe they will have the capital to invest in and improve along the way. Yeah, as long as the results are really critical at this time of year, it was about as poor road trip as you could want you know no new severe injuries and to be honest every game maybe with the exception of that sunday game in baltimore was competitive at least for most of those games so i am not quite as blown away by the results as perhaps the the average person is no doubt disappointing though and it just it does put a lot of pressure on them to you know simply take care of business this weekend and then especially next weekend as well and it really felt like there were some games Miami should have taken. I think we could really look at game two at Baltimore where they had the lead and you put in Oscar Brazovan and I believe it was a first pitch homer that he gave up to Gunnar Henderson followed by an RBI to Adam Frazier and that, that blew the game. And then you look at that Cardinals game one, that was very disappointing just how it all played out. And then game two and three weren't very competitive besides Miami, you know, tacking on a couple of runs right at the end, which was the same case with Baltimore. So... I think the most disappointing part for Miami was that St. Louis trip. And then given the fact that they had chances to win. And with that being said, I mean, Miami now out of the playoffs, 
you know, they're still in the hunt. They're not too far out of it at all, actually. You know, there's you look at Philly and Miami, they're neck and one, neck. And one percentage point, one percentage point behind the Phillies because they have one yeah, more win and one more loss. So right there, uh, yeah, the question is, um, yeah, honestly, it's, it's still obviously in a better position than you could have really foreseen at this point in the yeah. season, entering the season. Not, not too yeah. panicky yeah. yet. And they have big reinforcements on the horizon, like Avasail Garcia on his rehab assignment <laughs> and a couple others that are even more impactful along the way. It's still, to me, it's still an extremely exciting time for this team. They just need to stop the skid immediately. And then I think, um, yeah, then we'll brace for what we expect to be some level of buying at the deadline. Yeah, I think what, what really helped Miami was the fact that they were able to beat up on these really bad teams. For example, the you know, the Royals, the Athletics, even St. Louis when they came to Miami, they took three out of four against them. So really helped that Miami took those games. So, you know, you could say you could take a couple of punches throughout the season, but obviously, you know, that, that cost them a lot. They're now out of the playoff picture in this case, but, in, you know, in terms of not being in the wild card. And what's helped Miami is that they're still in it. They're very much in it. I mean, you look at the standings right now, and it's Miami, Cincinnati, and really, I, th- I think that's about it. That's where the that's where it stands. And obviously, the three teams that are currently in the wild card. I, Isaac, I don't know if you even want to say that the Padres have a chance or maybe even the Cubs to, to really make one final push for at least the wild card spot, which – you know, we're looking right now at the market. You asked Kim how much that changed, and it obviously has made an impact with the lack of sellers that there are in the market right now, according to her. Yeah, I'm hoping that Kim will have one more availability before the deadline, but more likely than not, she will just speak usually the day after the deadline or the day of uh, the trade deadline. And you know, all the people saying, oh, it's a, it's a great position to be in. Thank goodness they won all these games in the first half. You know, you, they have some money to play with, casino money, if you will. I just like in real life when you have you're playing with the casino's money I don't look at it that way you are that's your money they had these games and just because you won a bunch in the first half it doesn't make it any better that you're losing these winnable ball games especially in the St. Louis series the Baltimore Orioles they are a World Series contender there's no shame in losing those especially since two of them were somewhat competitive like Eli said those Cardinal games two of them were competitive St. Louis is a very tough place to play especially for this Marlins team and boy, the the I think the Cardinals are they've won what five in a row now, including those games against Miami. A so a little bit hot, yeah. They are hot, and the third two corner infielders who are future Hall of Famers were just you know killing them. Uh, like I tweeted out, Nolan Arenado is an officially a Marlin killer, but still they they have to win these ball games. They the reason why it was so great that they were 11, 14 games over 500 is because okay that will give them a shot, but they can't give them right back and be five or close to 500, which is what they're on pace to do if they can continue to lose the way they've been doing. So it's a, it's a big, big week, big week coming up and probably the biggest week in Marlins during for the Marlins since 2017. Yeah. Um, and do you, I, I don't know if, you know, obviously just baseball in general, if you want to talk a little bit about, you know, those teams that are kind of looking like they're out of it, Padres, Cubs and, and Mets. Yeah. So the Padres, it's looking like they're unlikely to sell. Like I said, uh, the Cubs, I think they will sell, and that'll bring me to my first just main point of the show, you know, what who they should buy. And obviously they need pitching, 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 a starter and a reliever, preferably right-handers both. But if they're going to get an offensive player, I think you need to look no further than the Chicago Cubs outfielder, Cody Bellinger. Yeah. I don't know, maybe Eli can give us a better idea of what it would cost prospect-wise, maybe offset some of the salary. I believe he signed a, a pretty uh, lucrative one-year deal coming into the season with Chicago. But I think he's someone that will play the out, all three outfield positions very well. 
He will play first base very well. He doesn't have as crazy platoon splits as someone like Jesus Sanchez does. Um, he's a left-handed power bat that Miami could desperately use in the middle of their lineup. He is someone that could really help his team. I really wanted them to sign him in the offseason, and I think he went to Chicago for a little bit more money. Apparently, from what I've heard, actually, he and Brant Brown did not have the best relationship. That is something oh, yeah. that I have heard, and that is maybe something why, a reason why he didn't end up coming to Miami. But you know, make no mistake about it, Cody Bellinger would be an immense upgrade for this offense yeah. and defense. Accident 01. Drill, right center field. That one back. Oh! A belly bomb with the bases full, and the Cubs have unloaded. How does he took a risk? You know, in the free agent market, took that one-year deal to kind of set his set his value back in. I mean, we were talking about it in the chat, and I think Eli mentioned like he, he's playing like a hundred million dollar player right now, and he is. He really is. I mean, he, I I don't know if he was named to the All Star. I don't think he was, but man, he's playing really damn good right now for for the Cubs. I mean, I think if you bring him to Miami, you bring a big bat into that middle of the order, which is something this team really needs, especially now with Garrett Cooper. We don't know what his situation is looking like. He could take most of the reps at first, obviously with Jazz coming back soon, Avi's coming back soon. So we have, you know, reinforcements, if we want to say. I don't think someone's striking out to the pitch clock multiple times in a rehab start. He did it last time with Avi Garcia and AAA and AA. It's not it's not a really good look. But besides that, you're bringing in a power bat with Cody Bellinger and someone who's going to put that ball in play. And, and he definitely has if you look at the spread chart, if you're uh, listening on YouTube. Yeah, and the I mean the really dramatic change that has I think been a huge part of this is that he's just not swinging and missing anymore as he was at a very high level the last two years. His strikeout rate is down about ten percent from twenty seven to seventeen. Really dramatic adjustment for somebody that is still playing every single day. I think that is right near the top of the majors in terms of year to year yeah. improvement in that category. So that's been more balls in play um, for him and. For all the value he brings defensively, very unusual versatility of being able to play first base and all the outfield spots, especially center field. That's a lot of value to come with it. The thing to keep in mind with him and really with all these other uh, rentals that will be on the market is that overall this is not a super deep, this is not an incredible free agent class. And I think we are, we're also coming off an offseason where numbers, records continue to be set in terms of the kind of deals that free agents are getting. So with the Marlins, if you're getting a starting caliber player, whether it's a hitter or whether it's a starting pitcher, I, there's almost no hope of retaining those guys beyond this year. So that's just part of the calculus. With some other teams and some other scenarios, um, you can actually still feel that you have a chance at like retaining the player beyond this year. Um, for this team in a Mar in the Marlins team that is not only hyper focused on this year, like they want to have a little bit of a window here to be playoff contenders that's just yeah that's just part of it and i think inevitably they're going to have to bite the bullet and actually make a deal for a rental because that's generally where a lot of these available players are um it's just they'll have to manage their assets responsibly and they'll want to save some of those in order to get a player that has more club control beyond this year with bellinger he technically has a mutual option for next year i hate those because those are fake those those like don't even exist in my mind they almost never get picked up. In his case, he's going to opt out. He's going to test free agency. And there's going to be a lot of interest because of his combination of youth being right in the prime of his career and also being, you know, the very, very wide ranging skill set that he provides, along with the track record that he had both before his really weird dip and now that he's provided this year. It would be, yeah, he's not somebody that 
I've been super focused on just because I'm still not entirely sure the Cubs will be trading him in the first place. The Cubs are a team that even if they feel they aren't going to contend this year, they have the resources to dream about actually re-signing him. Like, I, I don't think that they're necessarily going to give, not going to give up on his, the future of him, even if their season feels like it is out of reach for the postseason. So I am probably more skeptical than a lot of people that he's actually going to be traded. I feel like they're going to, he fits what they want to do so well. And they are, they're in a position where they could bid with almost any other team in order to keep him long-term for a variety of reasons, though, he would be a terrific fit. And I want to stay on with the Cubs because I, I put out an article on Marcus Stroman and, and it's worth mentioning him at least as an option just because of the season he's having. But I do want to get your both of your thoughts, mainly as I got spoken to Eli about Stroman, I believe, before. In the case that he's kind of he's gotten pretty lucky this season. You look at the numbers, the FIP is hot is higher than the ERA. The ground ball rate is over 50%. I mean, would you take the risk on someone like Marcus Stroman who you know, he kind of has that deep pitch mix, kind of like Bra- we've seen with Braxton, but he throws a bit softer, I believe, than Brax. So would, would he take the chance on someone like Stroman, who obviously the pitching market is going to be worth a lot more than this, you know, than the hitters market this time around with not only the amount of starting pitching that's available, but how good the starting pitchers are. You have Giolito, you have Jordan Montgomery, you have Marcus Stroman. Those are, you know, Jack Flaherty is also out there, but what do you what do you what do you say? You know, let's let's bring in a stable piece of the rotation who not only is having a great season, but he's pitched in the, he's pitched in WBC atmosphere. He's pitched in the playoffs with Toronto. What do you what do you take that risk and bring in someone like Marcus Stroman? Well, yes, I believe that if Miami were to be adding pieces this trade deadline, which I think they will, they recognize that that was a need in the offseason. That's why they brought in Cueto. I think, yeah, Strowman would be. And you say he's unlucky. He is, he, he is outperforming his ERA per se, but his FIP is still you know under 3.4. Uh, you take that. He would immediately probably become the most consistent member of your starting rotation if you were to trade for him. And I guess the same argument could be made. Maybe the Cubs don't want to sign him in hopes of – I'm sorry, trading him in hopes of re-signing him this offseason. And, yeah, I, I think we can also go to the south side of Chicago. And there's a couple of starting pitchers that would make a lot of sense. But, yes, I think Miami – realizes that they need starting pitching more than anything. Stroman would fit that mold. Uh, Michael Kopech would make that mold. Um, Lucas Giolito as well. So, yes, I, I would definitely take a chance, quote-unquote, with Marcus Stroman, who would easily become your – probably your game one starter if they were acquiring him. That'd be really? something, yeah. That would be oh. something for Sandy, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. Eli, and then I want to go with one more guy. I think you, you put him as an honorable mention in your latest reliever article, Albert Ozlai. I think that's it's mm. not much of a chance just given the control and how good he's been yeah. this season for the Cubs. Right. Yeah, you said it right there. I, he's been awesome. He's a player I've had my eye on for a while back when he was a starting prospect for them. But it's he has so much years ahead of him, and you just don't see – if relievers get moved that far in advance when they're pitching so well – um, it would be a pretty steep price to pay for a guy that, to be fair, you know, hasn't been a full-time reliever for an entire season before. So you don't know if there will be some sort of counter-adjustment that the league makes to him the rest of this season. Um, yeah, so that was somebody I circled. I have, I do believe that the starting pitching is the most critical thing, the most impactful change that they can make. But I, I do feel that right-handed relievers is another big category. If you want to look back at this losing streak, uh, one of the biggest Issues has been the right-handed relievers in this bullpen. We've seen both Brazoban and Floro have issues um, in their performances. And then at the very bottom, 
You know, it's just it's not a super deep group beyond them. Even with JT Shagwa, he's not missing bats the way that they thought he would be really early in the year. So I don't know if you can trust him with the game on the line. So that's yeah, that's one very wide ranging area where fortunately I think that's where this market is pretty deep in righty relievers. So even if Alzale isn't really in there, you can look to almost every single team and find somebody in their bullpen that would be perhaps a marginal upgrade over the righties that the Marlins have. But somebody that I've circled is Carlos Estevez yeah. of the Angels. If he's still if he's available, we'll see. The Angels picked up a couple of critical wins, like keep their chances alive, it seems, in the wild card that's race. Right. So that's yeah. that's another decision that will go all the way down to the wire with somebody like him. Carlos Estevez looking for the save on one and two. Yoshida pops it up. It's on the infield. Urshela's calling for it. Saganite to the Red Sox. The Angels win. The finale of the series, a close one. But the Angels survive it. With starters, I'm kind of all right with a rental um, because I think even the rest of this season, a starter would make a huge difference. But the relievers, I like these guys to be around beyond this year just because they're not going to pitch very many innings for you the rest of this regular season. And you could have like one or two bad innings and all of a sudden like your total value down the stretch isn't those guys are more of a roll of the dice frankly you just don't know what you're going to get for a reliever over the span of 20 innings which might be all you're getting from them in august and september 20 innings could go in a lot of different ways um but there is there's a lot to choose from in that category too and as isaac said just generally on the pitching side um even that's a bit of a surprise from where we were at different times this year there have been valid complaints about the offense but I think at the very least they have to do something with these pitcher with this pitching staff to make it a little bit deeper and to add a little bit more upside if they can um, to yeah to improve it because that has been teetering for a while now that entire pitching staff. And then the last thing I want to touch up on before we move on to I think some draft news is uh, Isaac. Just any other names you want to kind of go through? I, I know you, this is this is kind of our episode to go through the names we have because obviously. As I said, we're, we're we're going back to back this week, and you know we want to we're going to discuss next week. I think more go into depth about the trade deadline, but we have a special guest to to kind of talk that over with. Yeah, no, I think we we nailed the um, the ones that most Marlins fans would like, and that I think the team would you know really benefit from acquiring. Um, yeah, I'll just throw out like I said, I already mentioned the guys on the White Sox. I don't think Miami's going to do much business with that team, from what I've heard. Um, we will we'll keep our ears and eyes open, and next week we'll have a lot more info for you guys. Yeah, so I think we could go on to the draft now, Eli. If you, if you want to go through the big news, which is Miami finally inking a deal with Noble Meyer, the first yeah. round pick, 10th overall. I believe it was 4.5 mil. The slot value was around 5 million. So, I mean, they got him way under the slot value at the pick that they did. So, Isaac, just your thoughts on that, and obviously the other one, Matt. Kemp Alderman, who they also got for under the slot value. Yeah, huge. Very big news this morning. Uh, I'm glad we were recording this today. Meyer, you're right. It was 4.5, significantly under slot. And Kemp Alderman, $1.4 million, also very much under slot. So that they saved some money there with their two guys that you know are going to be maybe tougher to sign. And Thomas White and your boy, Kevin uh, Dietrich, who is committed to FIU. From what you've told me, Kevin, it uh, looks like they don't know if he's going to sign. He looks like he's leaning towards going back to FIU. But it, Miami saved a lot of money, as Eli and I were talking about before the stream. They've saved a good amount of money and would be able to offer him seven figures, which, in, you know, an 18-year-old going to FIU or 
and turning down $1 million is going to be very tough, in my opinion, to do. You can go to college and get hurt. You can go to college and not perform. It's, it would be a very tough decision, in my opinion, to turn down yeah. professionally a signing bonus that size. Thomas White, I think they're going to need a lot of money as well for him. I don't know what the math is, how much money they have left for those two players. Maybe Eli can, can brush us up on that. We're waiting on the confirmation about third rounder Brock Vradenberg's bonus, but assuming he's anywhere around the slot value, you're looking at about $4.8 million in wiggle room for just Thomas White and Tristan Dietrich. Now, most of that is going to go to Thomas White. He, his slot value is, what, $2.4 million? It's, it's mm -hmm. half of that amount, and they took him knowing that he would go well above slot. I think the easiest way to explain this is that Noble Meyer and Thomas White aren't dramatically different prospects. Like they are the top two prep pitchers in this draft class. And so they Meyer, I think the surprise was how far Meyer went below his slot value, because I think most people valued him right around the 10th best overall prospect in this draft. He goes at the 10th slot. So I don't know exactly how the Marlins did that magic, made him feel that they had leverage to push him down significantly below that number. They did. And that makes it, just even easier to bring Thomas White a little closer to that number as well. He was valued as a first rounder, so they'll give him mid first round money, which will be, we'll find out exactly what. It'll be somewhere in that three to four million dollar range. And what they have left over for that should be going to Dietrich. And we'll, he immediately, I think, as soon as they drafted him, he came out publicly and he said that he was planning to go to FIU. And we continue to hear that he's planning to go to college and honor his commitment and forego signing right now, it's going to be very tempting because the comparison here is looking at last year where the Marlins took a late round flyer on Evan Crest, who's committed to Jacksonville University, paid about 700 grand to offer him. And he turned that down in order to go to school one year in. That's actually looking pretty good. He had a really outstanding freshman year for them. And so he is on a trajectory to probably make more money down the road. But that's a big if because pitchers, you just never know. You just never know if they can stay healthy and how teams will change that evaluation on him moving forward with Dietrich. It seems like they'll be able to offer him even more than they did with crest last year. So the signing deadline is Tuesday. We'll just have to wait and see. They do have some options to actually use that money. Even if he doesn't sign, I think from what I'm aware of, they can actually approach other prep players, uh, other guys kind of like him that went unsigned and overpay them as undrafted free agents. That is an option that they have if they've left over money to spend within their bonus pool and their 5% overage if they want to. So um, I think either way, they should be adding players to this class beyond Thomas White, whether it is Dietrich or whether they have to, I'm sure they've already done so, gone back to the drawing board and looked at who else is available and can throw some more money at them as well. So we will just a few days away from getting a very clear picture of all this. Do you think the thing with, with Meyer getting under that slot value is, you know, he was may maybe his camp was thinking he wasn't going to go as high. And then obviously every executive has their own board draft mm -hmm. order. You know, they make the kind of, they kind of play out the strategies and they thought he was not going to go at the end. They thought he was going to go maybe lower in this draft. Do you think that that is kind of what happened in this case? And that's why Miami said, look, you weren't supposed to go 10, but we were able to get you. Um, that's why we're offering you under slot. Do you think that, that could be the case, Elon? That I think by kind of by a uh, process of elimination, that's what we have to assume. Is that how that's how it played out? That they felt he was going to fall if the Marlins didn't pick him, and they figured it out. Um, so this draft class, in the moment, I remember us all being taken aback a little bit by the decisions. In the aftermath, I think a lot of us were kind of a little bit more favorable to it. 
And this is why you just let the process play out because if they are able to sign all their draft picks, all 21 of their draft picks, um, this will be an excellent class. There's um, any way you slice it. If they are able to get this done with the, with the way that they've handled this money, they're just bringing in a really deep group of players that have a variety of different ways to become above average regulars in the majors. So speaking, you know, now that we kind of covered the draft, I want to go into our top 30 list. Um, we made a lot of moves. I don't think we made too many additions besides the guys from the draft. So just to get it going, um, Eli, do do you have oh, – yeah, perfect. Oh, wait, that's – wow, that looks cool. Yeah, it doesn't look like Pipeline. It looks like it Pipeline's look list. Like pipeline. yeah. I, I use my right. magic to just put our names the way that they have it. If you go, I guess I could bring up the Pipeline one if people want to contrast it. They still have Sixto in the top 10, <laughs> just to give you an idea of how we do things a little bit differently than MLB Pipeline does. I feel like this is, respectfully, this is updated with, I think, more, um, yeah, more recent and more meaningful observations about these players. And so even though that is a resource that is available publicly and it gets most people's attention due to how long they've been at it, we feel that, yeah, our um, combined opinions here are, uh, yeah, our consensus top 30. I think this gives people a better idea of who was, you know, the players that we have the highest hopes for in this organization, a combination of their ceilings as players, as well as, you know, the likelihood of them reaching that ceiling. And as it has been the last few years, at the very top, um, pitching heavy. The, even with Ieri Perez graduating from eligibility, we, we think that Noble Meyer just squeaks out on top as immediately becoming the best prospect that the Marlins have. And that's yeah, where I'll start. This was this is the first argument we had here between yeah. us three. Eli and I thought Max Meyer should have been number one. So that's that's where we're going to start there. And then Isaac thought Noble Meyer should have been num- should be number one. Now, I'm pretty sure, Isaac, you, th- you even thought Eder should be over Meyer in this list because we know you're not the biggest Max Meyer fan here. So Yeah, let's let's start with Noble. Um, very sort of similar pitchers, yeah, similar arsenals, uh, great sliders, great fastballs, and I just think Noble edges out Meyer. One, because Meyer, you know, he was a reliever for some of those years in college. Um, he is six foot, uh, so I think just Noble has more size, better stuff. I think he's got a better fastball than Max. I think his slider may be even a little bit better, a little filthier. So I, I think with me, it was a very easy decision to have Noble Meyer top that list. Max Meyer just underwent Tommy John a year ago. He is throwing bullpens now, so he, we should be seeing him at some point. I think obviously he'll be 100% for spring training in 2024. But yeah, Noble Meyer, to me, ran laps around Max Meyer. Uh, a little bit of hyperbole there. But yeah, I think that was the easy choice for the number one prospect in the system. And then with Eater, you know, our farm director, Alex Carver, he even says Eater probably has a better slider than Max, too. I think Max Meyer's slider was was given too much hype coming up, you know, in double A and triple A and coming out of college. It, it's a great pitch. Don't get me wrong. But when you add it up with a mediocre fastball, I would call, it's not going to fool many major league hitters. And so Jake Eater, I think he's got more pitchability. I think he's a left-handed, that left-handed handed pitcher that can throw – Decently hard. I think his velocity will come back a little bit. He's averaging 92, 93 right now. But like I said, he's from the left side. Better slider, uh, bigger guy. And I think both of those, I think he's got an argument to be number two ahead of Max Meyer. But we compromised, and Jake Eater sits at number three right behind Mr. Max Meyer. But to me, it's 2A and 2B with Max and Jake. 
Eli, if you want to go ahead and kind of talk a little bit about Meyer and Eater there, that that decision, why why eventually you and I kind of both gave it up and, and let Isaac have Noble Meyer at the top of the list. Yeah, the reality is that I don't feel, even though these guys are vying for the top prospects spot, I don't I don't feel great about any of them, to be honest with you. Um, and for Noble, it's more so, more so just about the proximity from the majors, being as far as, as possible as a player that his his stuff and his projectability is exceptional. His his experience is pitching in the Pacific Northwest high school scene. Like the, the quality of competition he's faced to this point in his life is just not remotely comparable to guys like Eater and Meyer that were both great at the double A level. Both of them great. And then they underwent their Tommy John surgeries, and Eater had an additional setback on top of that. Uh, and I, I feel like if we had confidence that Eater was fully back to his pre-injury itself and the same with Max, then I would I would make the case of putting them both ahead of Noble. But the reality is, at, at this moment, neither of them are particularly close to who they were before those injuries with Eater. As Isaac mentioned, the fastball is is not what it previously was. Only in his most recent start did I like see... He, he's made progress. He's inching towards, I think, being his pre-injury self. Um, overall, it's just uh, the results kind of, I think, sum it up pretty fairly to this point where he's been kind of just a guy. He's just a very average guy. He's not putting batters away the way that he used to, and he's not generally, from start to start, his command is not what it was before his injury as well. So we think that will come back eventually. We do, but he's already, both him and Max, it's a, the clock is ticking. Where Meyer is already on the 40-man roster accruing Major League Service time. Eater is going to be Rule 5 draft eligible this offseason, so they have to put him on the 40-man. So all of a sudden, you, you got to start. That's a, To me, that is always a little factor that goes into my prospect rankings is realizing that some of these guys eventually, um, and somebody like Sixto being a very extreme case is a player that's about to run out of options and hasn't pitched in years. Like If these guys don't aren't going to by rule, have an extended leash to actually get settled in at the big league level, then their likelihood of being successful in the big leagues goes down because of it. So that all came into my mind. And I think ultimately Noble's fresh slate and his very enticing tools, um, I think that puts him ahead of those two that are kind of slightly damaged goods at the moment. Yeah. Oh, not- go on. Oh, no. No. All right, so I, I don't I'm not quite remembering it now. Did we have Khalil Watson on our last list as the top hitting prospect? Or was it or was it Barry? No, it was Cape, right? I believe it was Cape slightly. Overall, those movements aren't all that dramatic. I think if you want to look at the rest of this 10, I think you could make the case for pushing Barry even lower. Um it's been it's been a really ugly season for him. Slightly more productive as this year goes on than it was in the original in the beginning, but he's still a well below average hitter at the high A level um, for somebody that is so reliant on his bat to be a productive big leaguer. So I have him listed as a first baseman DH in here, even though for the moment he's still playing more third base than first base. Um, and that's to his, uh, the Marlins are holding on to that as, as long as they can before kind of just submitting to the reality that it's just a, he's a very limited profile. He's going to have to, simply be a great contact hitter, a great situational hitter, and he's going to have to show more power. Um, and to this point, the, it, it has been uh, close to a realistic worst-case scenario for how this year has gone for this player. Or the ups- I don't see what the upside realistically is. Um, the thing is, he's just still very new to pro ball, and his college track record was so extraordinary 
that you can't entirely discount it to this point in the season. We did lower him to eight, um, but out of all these players, yeah, Jacob Barry is the one. Uh, the players in these top ten, Barry is the one that I feel has the lowest floor. I mean, this to me just doesn't look what he's shown in professional games to this point uh, has been very disappointing. And then the last player I want to mention in this, well, two players, one, eh, I lie, three. I want to talk about Victor Mesa Jr. He was not in the top 10. I don't even think he was in the top 15 last time we made this list. He has jumped. He's probably made the biggest jump out of any of the prospects. So, I mean, he deserved it. Obviously, he's been playing very well for the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Um, he's playing very well to all three outfield spots, kind of struggling now a little bit more, kind of coming back down to earth. But Isaac, what have you seen from Victor Mesa Jr.? And obviously, uh, we were a little bit stunned when Aram put it as the top hitting prospect in the organization. But, I mean, he's the, he's number two for us. So, uh, obviously, we're seeing kind of what Aram is seeing in terms of why we put him so so high. But I think, you know, the conclusion when it came to Watson and Mesa was Watson, you know, kind of ha- you guys more upside of this case, I would say. Yeah, the thing on Victor Mesa Jr.'s side is age. He, he's still just 21, although he turns 22 very soon in September. And like you said, Kevin, he has come down to earth. In fact, he's been struggling pretty mightily as of late in his last 68 at-bats, just batting 162. And on the season, he's OPSing in the low 700s. Um, and the other thing that's on his side is probably just the ability to play all three outfield positions very well, I should say. Like you said, he's got a pretty good arm. Um Great jumps in the outfield. He's a pretty decent center field, like you said. At Pensacola, I don't think he's earned himself a promotion quite yet. I'm very curious to see where they open him next year. Maybe he made an argument to not only be in big league spring training, but maybe open up at AAA. I think that's going to be a very fun player to watch in spring training next season. And then with Watson, it's more upside. Uh, we had someone from the organization tell us that he's the number one guy. That was before the draft, obviously, but he is the number one guy in the system What now that Yuri has graduated. And I, I would stick with that. I think Khalil Watson is the number one guy, even though he just he hasn't shown much either with the bat. Um, but he's still got the tools that I think will uh, develop even more so in the higher levels. Power, speed, bat speed is insane. Uh, but like I said, the performance just hasn't been there, unfortunately, for this young player who also has age on his side. He's still a very young guy as well. And then I want to talk finally Thomas White. When we think about Noble Myers, the top right pitcher, when it comes to high school guys, he was the top righty, and then Miami went out there and drafted Thomas White, the top lefty prep pitcher. Obviously, he has not yet been signed, but we kind of spoke about what the money could look like there, and he makes the top 10 for us, cracking it at 9. Eli, just your overall thoughts on Thomas White. It has a lot of starter traits. Um, just a really exciting player who comes with probably the same caveat as with Noble, where he comes from the Northeast where he is just not, you don't get a ton of opportunities to face high quality competition growing up there at this point. Um, but he was, yeah, he was one of the most highly regarded prep pitchers. He had a commitment to go to Vanderbilt and we could just look on the same list and see Jake Eater. He was a Vanderbilt product as well. So this is, yeah, this is a player that um, you just, there's a lot to like with both his fastball and his secondaries. And uh, you can make the case the gap between him and Meyer probably might not shouldn't probably be as big as it is right here. Like you can make the case yeah. for moving him up quite a bit because he has the size, similar size that Meyer does. And he, uh, yeah, not quite the same fastball velocity, but he checks a lot of the other boxes that you want. Just, yeah, looks a lot like a starting pitcher. We have him a few spots below Dax Fulton. Yeah. There's some similarities between him and Dax as well. Um, yeah. It's 
they, all these guys, they're kind of, yeah, it's kind of splitting hairs really between a lot of these pitchers that we have in the top 10. Yeah, and, and I didn't make the argument. Um, I, I thought he should be over Barry. I'm a list meeting. I, I, I did advocate for him being up a little, at least over Barry with Yidi and Dax and Victor Mesa Jr. It's like you guys said, just really splitting hairs. And with these two young pitchers in Noble and Thomas, very similar profiles, just one's a lefty and one's a righty. And they took the best high school arms in the draft back to back. We already said how much we liked their draft strategy in this one. So, yeah. Kevin. Last play I want to go through very quickly. It was unranked in our last one. Dane Myers, uh, minor league rule five pick. Wow. I mean, that's all we could say. Wow. With Dane Myers makes it to the, you know, gets called up to the big leagues this season after absolutely dominating both at Pensacola and I think playing even better with Jacksonville and gets to call up. He's been playing a lot of center field. You know, obviously that's not his true position, but he hasn't been horrible to say. I know some pretty bad routes aside from that. I mean, he's been able to hold it down for Miami and not only that defensively, but offensively, he's looked great. Um, I think that the one, the game right before the all-star break, he had, he had his first career homer uh, along with Jesus Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz, who all three of them hit uh, a homer all, you know, first time in a while that the whole outfield is at a homer there. But um, this was Alex Carver's guy since the start of the year. I find kind of started realizing that he was pretty damn good, and Eli added him as a honorable mention to our last list. So I'll let Eli do the talking on Mr. Dane Myers, who has just been a great story thus far. Great story with great play. Yeah, even when he was nearing his debut, I was thinking in my head to kind of limit expectations and think of him as an athletic Charles LeBlanc, as a rich man's version of that. And I, I think mm -hmm. you can safely say that he's probably better than that, even better as a player that just has such, uh, he uses the entire field. He's just a line drive machine to this point. So, uh, and he plays a bunch of different positions. I don't know if he plays any single one of them exceptionally well, but the fact that he can at least fake it in center field for this Marlins team right now, that is enormously valuable. That goes into your whole combination as to how good this player will eventually be. He's, I think he's the oldest player in our entire top 30. He's 27 years old. So he is filled out as to what he's going to be physically, but he is a player that is only a couple of years into being a full-time professional hitter. So there is an interesting argument to make that there is more to more in there, more in the tank than ordinarily you think of for a player his age, just because of his lack of experience on the side of the ball. And the athleticism, the speed is just another factor in here where if he gets on base, even if he is more of a singles hitter, that's what he turns into a line drive guy instead of a, a slugging home run guy. I mean, he can turn a lot of those singles into doubles with his agility. He is an above average runner. Um, even at, for, despite being relatively tall, um, he is a great athlete. It is pretty surprising in hindsight that they were able to get him in the minor league phase of the rule five draft. And yeah. we think he is now pretty high up there in terms of the very best prospects in this organization. Hopefully he just continues to hit relatively consistently. So he sticks on this roster and then he graduates from prospect eligibility. Um, but this is extremely unexpected developments who already have him kind of make this impact and really show yeah. that he is an important piece of a contending team. Yep. Anything on your end, Isaac, anything else you want to address, at least in the top 10? No, it's just so, so impressive that he has just hit everywhere he's been. Like Eli said, only been hitting for two years or so. And he's just hit every level that he's been with since being with the Tigers and in Marlins in the Marlins system, he's just hit and hit. And he's the type of player that, uh, 
that a successful team calls up and they don't expect great things. They expect him to, you know, hold his own, but they don't expect him to do as well as he's doing. And he's like the type of guy that, hey, the models called him up and he's helping them, you know, get to the finish line of this season and make the postseason. And he's someone that's going to be in the middle of it. He's going to be hitting higher than he has been, in my opinion. You know, he's been hitting seventh and ninth pretty consistently, seventh against lefties, right, ninth against righties. And I think, you know, sooner or later, he'll be hitting right smack in the middle of this order. He's one of their yeah. better bats. He finished the St. Louis series 0 for 8. But boy, I think at least six of them had an expected batting average of at least 350. He got robbed left and right up the middle. He was getting robbed all over the place by the infielders, outfielders. He just puts hard contact on the ball almost every single time up. And like Eli said, he plays so many positions. Corner outfields, out, outfield spots the best. Corner infield spots probably where he profiles the best. But yes, he, he's a very fun player and a very nice guy, I must say as well. I've spoken with him a good amount. And he's a really cool guy. And I... He, the Marlins need him. He is someone that the Marlins have called up, and he's going to be a very pivotal player of this team. For for a pretty bulked guy, he he's pretty damn fast. I mean, that's the one other thing I want to mention. He's he's pretty fast for how big he is, to, to be honest. And the last thing I'll say is he did tell us he prefers third and first, but right now with how needs are kind of fun, you know looking, he'll he'll he's going to go to center. And if Jazz comes back and Coop somehow goes on the IL, I think Mister Dane Myers will be playing some first base, but. Uh, looking at the next 10 on the list, obviously highlighting it with Nassim Nunez and a lot more FCL, DSL guys here. We have Ronald Hernandez, Jose Gerardo in there, and Marco Vargas, who I think I think we were talking about this, that maybe at the end of the season, once we do one more update, if we do it, he may be the top hitting prospect in the Miami Marlins organization, Eli. I mean, just in the system, I, I will say. So just your quick thoughts on Marco Vargas. Yeah, he's he's been both him and Ronald Hernandez, who we have at 18. Those guys have been two of the very best players in the FCL this year. Now with Hernandez, he's repeating the level. So that gives him an edge with Vargas. This is just a continuation of what he did in the DSL last year. So he was not the biggest name in that international class, but already he is just incredibly productive. His his ability, his discipline is off the charts. And he, there's enough batted ball impact. There's enough hope that he sticks in the middle infield that this is a fast-rising prospect that could continue to rise. I'd love to see him and Hernandez both moved up to low-A Jupiter soon, almost immediately. And I think yeah. then is when, um, particularly in Vargas's case, that's when I think you could start to take him off. He could really take off when we get more of the measurables behind his batted ball quality um, and a better idea of his defense. I think that would give us, you know, some of the freedom, the embolden us perhaps to have him even leap into the top 10 by the end of the year. But ultimately there's just a ceiling you put on these guys in terms of their prospect status uh, until they face good full season competition. And then I, I want to quickly go to Ronald. I mean, he, he's been really damn good. And I, I think I mean, he right now we haven't rated as the top catcher in our system, which it makes sense. I mean, the guy, is a switch hitting catcher. He's hitting well. He's walking at a very high rate, I believe. And and just just that I think that's the right way to put it. And before we move on to the final 10, I do want to quickly go through Carson Melbourne and Jacob Miller, two guys who we believe could possibly be dealt at the deadline. Not only because of the amount of pitchers that they've selected, but just they challenged they, they were pretty aggressive with Milbrand. He only made a couple starts in Lloyd Jupiter, didn't show it too much. It wasn't too good, but he got the promotion to high A Beloit. Eli, you, you spoke to Milbrand at the start of the season. Do you see that possibility of him being dealt at the deadline, just given how young he is and 
teams wanting pitching. I think most of these teams that are selling and are, and are kind of trading rental pitchers, they need starting pitching. The Padres, the, the Cardinals, they all need pitching. Yeah, it's a possibility, um, relatively decent possibility. I don't know exactly um, what his value would be at this particular time. I feel like in both cases, especially with Milbrandt, he is every bit as valuable as he was a year ago when he was drafted, and maybe a tick higher than that. We're still seeing at this stage of his development that his control needs to be ironed out quite a bit. Um, I saw his most, his most recent outing was one of his worst of the season in terms of that, just digging his own hole for him. Um, but the fastball is kind of where it starts with him. It's a mid-90s fastball that has a ton of movement, both horizontally and vertically, in a way that you think eventually will get a decent number of swings and misses, but at the very least you get a lot of soft contact. And so that's what stood out for him this year is the ability to limit hard contact um, always putting you in a position where you're a ground ball away from getting out of your biggest jams in that case. So there are starter traits of both of them. We haven't seen as much with Jacob Miller this year. He's been on the injured list recently and he's still down yeah. in, in low A. Yeah. So both of them have some, some value at this point. Um, I wouldn't be in a huge hurry to trade, but I, I think you understand where this uh, team is at in terms of the needs they want to address. And um, the fact that again and again, they've shown the ability to develop these young pitchers. And because they invested so much of this past draft class in Thomas White and Noble Meyer, and now it seems possibly maybe they get Dietrich in here as well, I think that would even free them more so to deal some of the other arms in this system, like Miller and Bill Brett. Final two names I want to, I, I myself want to quickly go through. Joe Mack, I believe, drops a couple other spots. He's been horrid. There's just another way to put it. He's been very Shout out Joe Mack, though. Shout he, out he Joe Mack. the other day. It took it took 284 at bats, and he hit his first first home run of the season uh, yesterday. <laughs> Things are not looking good. I think you might be looking at someone they might outright release at some point, not soon. But this has just really been bad. Like, they gave him a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, don't don't panic. I mean, this is a guy that as recently as last fall in the Arizona Fall League, he had some nice moments on both sides of the ball. It has been just a brutal season for him, though. Um, so it's that's kind of why he fell down. But he's still young, and catchers take generally longer to develop than just about anybody else. So, we, yeah, we'll see with him. It is a big surprise that on the power fronts, I think coming into when they acquired him, that was one of the few things you pointed at with certainty. You're like, this guy is going to have pretty good game power, and it, that has not been the case. Yeah, and then finally – Kemp Alderman, he's our third draft pick. He's at 14. We feel pretty good about him. He had the most – he was described to be one of the best power hitters in the draft, and obviously I think that's what, what that'll, that'll be the case. He's going to start at the corner outfield, and then finally Xavier Edwards, I believe, just a couple spots over him. Shout-out to Xavier Edwards. He's been playing very well in at AAA Jacksonville. I, th I, I think we all thought he deserved the call-up over Garrett Hampson, but moving on with the final – 10 well, on our list. I'll give one last note on Edwards as we're recording this. Recently, he's been playing some third base after not really doing so much at all this year. You know, the Marlins are this year has not gotten very much third base production at all in the big league level from Gene Segura and company. Um, so, yeah, I hope that is the precursor to him being called up for the stretch run. Even if he's not playing every day, um, he is overqualified for AAA at this point. And then finally, the last 10, um, Anthony Peguero. He's another FCL guy. Gennaro Miller, DSL. Yoffrey Solano, DSL. And the final draft pick we decided to throw out there was Brock Vradenberg. Uh, he was a college, another college bat. But I, I really want to highlight Troy Johnston here 
because holy, I mean, holy shit, he's been really good with double A Pensacola. I, I don't even think he should be going to triple A. Uh, I hope and I pray and, and, and I and I know we we uh, you know we all love Troy. He's one of the nicest humans in the organization. We pray to the Lord's he's the one called up. If Gary Cooper goes on the IL, likely won't be the case, but I myself hope it is Troy. He deserves the major league shot at least. Just give him a shot. I think he deserves. But Isaac, anything you want to highlight in that in this final ten? Yeah, something that I don't think Marlins fans will want to hear. You know, you mentioned the Marlins need a hitter, and Troy Johnson's a left-handed hitter that they could use. Um, Padre Monteverde, he's also overqualified, I would say, at this point. He can get some major league yes. time. I, I think part of the reason they're not getting the call-up is in case they do want to make some trades, and they don't want them to come up and not perform very well and have their trade value just go down. So I, I think they want them to continue performing. And maybe past the deadline, if they're still here, they'll get called up. At some point, maybe September. But yeah, I believe that's what's going on right now. They're they're a little bit worried that if they do call them up, they might not do well right away. And maybe other teams will see them. They don't want them. But I do want to mention something on Jacob Miller. Jim Bowden, Bowden uh, did a potential deal with the Nationals for Game Ray Candelario, the Marlin, uh, the Nationals third baseman, who would help the Marlins right away. And Jacob Miller was someone that they could probably just offer the Nationals and they'd accept it. So that's something to keep yeah. in mind. And another big dip in our prospect list here was um, who, who was it? Ian Lewis. He's been struggling. I mean, not a good year at all for him. Uh, I think there's just no other way to put it. I think now, obviously, he's still very young, but uh, he was with High A last year. I think he got. To, did he get to High A last year at all, or no? no. I, why did I? All right, he didn't get to High A, but obviously, I think most of us projected him to start there. But you know. He, he did not. He did not. Obviously, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of infield depth over there. And obviously, I think it was a good decision to keep him at low A. And Isaac, just anything you want to kind of touch up with Ian Lewis. I think pretty high strikeout rate, too, which has been an issue with him. Yeah, he was someone that I, I've never really been that high on. I, in my, I think it was my first top 30 list in 2022. I had him pretty low. I think like maybe the mid-teens. And I remember Eli telling me I should have been higher. He's still very young, like I said, another guy that has a lot of age on his side, a lot of time on his side. But I just don't see a lot of the a lot of the hype. He does hit the ball hard, apparently, from what I've understood. But I just – a lot of speed, young, Bahamian, like Jazz. But I don't see a lot of upside with this player. Not a lot of size. But he does hit the ball pretty consistently. Just mm, – I don't see it with him. P-Mac is back. Uh, from injury and gets to see there. Obviously, we mentioned it, Pat Monteverde. Uh, I think he deserves triple-A time. I think he's even checked out of that, possibly. He was a 2018 guy. And then finally, uh, I want to quickly touch on Cody Morset. He's looked pretty good. I, I think since coming back after a couple of weeks, he's finally got going. And then Yafri and Gennaro, those uh, Yafri, I believe, is the one who hasn't been playing too much lately he, we don't know what the issue is with him he kind of made a switch from one team to another one i think it was dsl marlins to see dsl miami and general miller's looked pretty good overall he's been very impressive and brock vradenberg kind of like a camp alderman a lot of power tall size so we're excited we think this list is not obviously no list is ever perfect but it was perfect in our own eyes and i think uh, isaac or eli if you have any last things to mention i know we have some honorable mentions but i don't think we have to go through those so right. um, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of guys knocking on the door when you get to the bottom of this list. Um, I'm intrigued to see what Zach McCambly continues to look like as they develop him as a reliever. I still have some optimism for Sean Reynolds. He he didn't show much during his first major league trip. 
because the team didn't use him at all. They sent him down immediately That's to call him up. So that was disappointing. And yeah, there's some relievers in the upper minors that we like a lot as well. Um, and but and then otherwise, we'll see on the the lower levels has some really interesting hitting prospects, some that are in the DSL that we'll learn about more as they progress through the system. But you don't want to get too far ahead of them um, with those guys. So the the likelihood is that this list gets a little thinner um, a couple weeks from now as we get through the uh, the trade deadline, but. Yeah, it's an interesting combination of guys. And uh, yeah, thankfully, a couple of them have progressed to the big leagues already and helped them get to where the Marlins are at this point, mainly Dane and Yuri. Um, that's ultimately what you want is you want a homegrown talent and guys that can be part of a winning team. And the fact that they finally are in a position to do that, um, at least that says something about what this whole player development operation has done, even if at this moment, you don't know where this next star is going to come from. They've shown already recently that some of the guys, they are able to translate that success to the highest level. So before we wrap up, I, I quickly, just each of us mentioned a prospect that we think could possibly make it to this top 30 by season's end that is currently not on it. So I'm going to start with Fabian Lopez of DSL. This guy's been pretty impressive, to say the least, putting up good numbers. So Isaac, you're next. Is Josh Simpson not on the list? No. Him. We took him <laughs> off last time, too. <laughs> All right, Eli, you're up. I guess let me take a hitter. Um, I'll, I'll say – I'll go out of character. I'll say Will Banfield has a really strong finish of the year. Yay! Still just 22? He's going to turn 20 – well, 23, something like that. Like, there's still hope for him. I, I think he's going to show enough um, – potential down the stretch offensively to go with the whole package to um, yeah make force him what himself on the list somewhere yeah he turns 24 very soon actually if... mm. clock's taken though he's been good more better better than jacob stallings and nick fortes i'll keep it at that but all right with that being said we'll see you guys next week we have a fun guest and um so from isaac from eli and myself we'll see you guys all next week peace out and go fish